you call the ADAT an ATAT, <laughs> but you call the ATST an ATST, why do you make that differentiation? What's, what? Why don't you follow what George wanted? I, well, to, to be clear, m- nine times out of ten, I call it a chicken walker. So, <laughs> when I, a chicken, a <laughs> chicken walker. walker? Because when I first saw them, I thought, oh, it, it's walking around like a chicken. And so I just grew up walk, calling them chicken walkers. Me and my friends, that's what we called them until we learned they were ATSTs. And, and, and I guess you call it an ATST because that sounds better than an ATS. An ATS. It sounds like you're getting a little spastic. Right. Yeah. Or you got to sneeze, you're holding back. You're about to say ATS, and you're about to sneeze. Right. I like, though, that Chicken Walker sounds like a very specific job for a kid in Kansas. Like, <laughs> oh, what's, uh, what's, what's Jimmy growing up to be? Oh, he's going to be a Chicken Walker. He's a Chicken he gonna, Walker. He's a Chicken Walker right there. He's going to fight. But you know what? He's fighting the Rebels, too, so that's good. He's got two jobs. He's both a Chicken Walker and he's fighting the Rebels, so that's that's what you got. Oh, but uh, can I tell you, one of the reasons why calling it an ATAT drives me nuts is that I think every other creator in the world is like, you had a brilliant sounding name in Adat. Yeah. Like it, it sounds, it sounds badass. It is badass. And then why are you changing, making me say ATAT? It sounds ridiculous. Yeah. I, it's well, it is an acronym. You know that. No. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Now you probably know what it's the a, acronym is. All, let's see, an all-terrain armored transport. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, successfully married man right here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ladies. He's off the market. He knows what ads is. What is what is, what is ATST? I can't for? remember. Oh, it's like a single transport. I think it was. Uh, yeah, oh, I think that would make is. sense. That would make yeah. sense. It's a single transport. A single transport. There we go. Well, anyway, <laughs> hi everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show ostensibly about talking about ATAT, but also about making comics and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of WebComics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon of and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Dave, we've got a special guest. It's it's indeed a special guest. It's America's heartthrob, America's <laughs> internet heartthrob. Uh, Jake Parker of MrJakeParker.com and a resident uh, AT-AT expert, um, so... Again, uh, once I'm so sorry that he's off the dating market to the rest of the world, but he's, he's he was snapped up early and probably before she knew that he knew the definition of ATAT. It's uh, true. So, <laughs> is that true? <laughs> <laughs> well, when when did your wife find out about your your predilection? Predilection is a terrible sounding <laughs> word. When did she when did she find out about your uh, uh, love of Star well, Wars? How far into the relationship was it? It was early because. Actually, one thing that drew me to her was she had um, she had a Han Solo figure hanging from her her um, her rearview mirror, and so I was like, "Yeah, that's interesting." You know, I, I like Star Wars, and she's like, "Yeah, Star Wars is cool." I didn't know then that she just thought it was cool. She wasn't like into it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It it just happened to have been something that she got at Spencer's gift. Yeah, like the week something like that. Never, she's not super into it. But in the in the back of your mind, you're like, hey, now, Han Solo. <laughs> hey. On the rearview mirror. You know, that's actually <laughs> a great topic, uh, Dave. Are you the same person that your wife married? Uh, well, now that's an interesting question. Uh, am I the same man that my wife married? Yes, ultimately, I think that I am uh, a child. Uh, so, uh, Dave, you had a great tweet uh, that that stuck with me, and tweets don't usually stick with me. But you you said you've been married for fifteen years or something like that. But in that time, you've had three marriages. I said that. Yeah, I believe that was your one of your things. <laughs> uh, I mean. Let, I, I, I want to give all due credit to me as a genius. Yes, I'm sure I said that, but I, I, I have no memory of that. That <laughs> was like either that. inspirational or confessional. I'm not sure which. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm on wife number three uh, in my first marriage. It brought up a good point and made me think like, yeah, we were newlyweds and that transition into like being parents of young children and that's transitioned now into being parents of older children. This is my marriage and I'm like – it has shifted and it has changed. And I feel like even though it's the same person, it's it's a different relationship over the years. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. There's there's a, a a much deeper understanding, and and uh, I think also a, a wee bigger willingness to forgive uh, small slights or mistakes or faults than yeah. the begin, at the beginning of a relationship, uh, just because you you both know that you're you're doing your darndest, you right. know, to and like. Um, but anyway, uh, oh god, that, that got real sweet there towards the end there. So thanks, Jay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, uh, I, uh, I wanted, this actually transitions lovely into, uh, the, the first topic that I wanted to bring up with you, Jake. So first of all, let me ask you, because I like to ask people this, how do you self-describe your career when you're at a party? How do you, what do, how do you tell other people what you do? It is so funny you bring that up because I was just having this conversation with some friends of mine, some other creative friends, and it depends on the situation. So to mm-hmm. some people... I'll say uh, I'm a I'm a cartoonist. Other people I'll say oh I illustrate children's books. Other people I'll say um, you know I'm I'm currently working on a startup. Uh, so it depends on like the person I'm talking to if I know a little bit about them and I and how much explaining I feel like I want to do that night. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So all oh, right. I used to say I was an artist, and that just doesn't like. That doesn't, that's such a broad term. It doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore. So I've gotten very, you know, a lot more specific. So that's that's kind of how I, I describe it. But to actually answer your question for the sake of this, this podcast, <laughs> which I, I'm sure you don't really care how I answer people. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I would describe myself um, as an illustrator, cartoonist, writer. So I, I, I do those. No, three but things. you've never come on now. You've never actually said those words. <laughs> no, no, no. You've never been. You've never <laughs> been in a words have never escaped your lips. I know that's that's a fib right there, Jake. <laughs> I, like when you're so you're at a cocktail party and uh, I'm a normal person. You have no idea what my background yeah. is. So, Hi, I'm Steve. I'm from down the street. What what do you do? And you say I'm a writer, cartoonist, illustrator, friend. No, 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 no. What is no. that description? No. <laughs> raconteur, man about town. The raccoon, the raconteur, <laughs> gad about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I usually what I'll say is I'm, il- I'm an illustrator. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, and you know what's funny? I, I would actually, if I had to pick a term for you, that's what I would. Just, uh, that's what I would say yeah. too, because your your illustration skills are so uniquely wonderful mm-hmm. that that's. Uh, not that you are not great at, at 15 other things, but uh, that's where I would place you. Yeah. So uh, anyway, good. I'm glad we fit my definition of you, Jake. This is perfect. Dude, how do you? How do you? <laughs> how do I describe Jake? <laughs> no, how do, how do I introduce myself? I, I always lead with cartoonist. And then they say of, of what? And I say uh, um, uh, comic strips. Oh, I, the, the second follow-up statement is like, uh, a comic strips like you would see in a newspaper, but the entire thing is online. Yeah. And yeah. they go, really? How do you make a living from that? And then that becomes a 10-minute conversation. Right. And I, I, can gauge, I can gauge within one second that they do not care how I make my <laughs> living. And so I, I bail out quickly. But every once in a while, there's someone, a creative person usually, that does actually care yeah. a lot about how, how I do it. So anyway, so that is that. How do you describe, Brad? How do you self-describe? I'm a little bit more in line with Jake. I, I, I gauge the situation and my mood and how much I want to talk at that moment. Uh, and, and, and in that, in that decision-making, I disgust myself because I spent, what, what's it been now? I, I, I 18 years, uh, on the internet. And then of course, uh, doing comics and cartoons before that. So let's call it over 20 years I've spent trying to uh, get the point of... What was that? Uh, I, I am so sorry, guys. My phone just started playing. <laughs> we will edit that out. Brad, can you, I'm so... I'm so... <laughs> I was trying. I was trying desperately to power down my phone because I realized it was making noises, and I somehow turned on NPR. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought you were watching YouTube videos. <laughs> Jeez, I'm so uh, sorry. That's no problem. I can. Oh, I can. I can pick it up and edit it from there. That's not a problem. I, I am so sorry, Brad. That's never happened, Jake. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. Pick up from a place that this has never happened before, Jake. <laughs> Jake, I promise. This is I, I, my performance is normally it, better, it's Jake. Like, yeah, you're you're upset about dropping the china in front of the company. <laughs> you know, this uh, has never happened. I, I, uh, 
I really did become like my grandmother. Oh, Jake! Oh, Jake! I'm so sorry. Oh, Jake! Did you do the oh, thing Jake, where you fumbled you through your uh, your phone and bobbled it between your hands? Well, no, but I literally did have my fingers come up towards my mouth and touch each other, like oh, oh Jake! Oh, Jake! <laughs> Oh my god. Now I now I'm not gonna edit this out. This is too good. <laughs> Screw it. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's funny. Well, Jake, you saw me at my most grandmother. <laughs> oh, oh no. Well, uh no, but but anyway, like I was saying, I, I, <laughs> I disgust myself because I spent so much time trying to gain that mantle of being a cartoonist. It was my one goal in life. For, for as long as I can remember, it's the only thing I wanted. And I've gotten to a point where I can truly, without exaggeration or without, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stretching the truth, I can say that I'm a cartoonist. And I rarely ever do. <laughs> because same <laughs> as like what you guys are saying, then you've got to sit there and explain it. And, and so it's like, oh, I, I really don't, you know, nine chances out of 10, I, I'd rather not uh, be in the conversation in the first place. So I just say I'm a graphic artist yeah. and, uh, and let it go at that. Right. The other thing you, you have to gauge is how, you know, do they really want to know or is it just small talk? Right, right. You know? Right, right. And that's why I say like you can gauge within four words of, of things coming out of your mouth. You're like, oh, they're turning away. Yeah, they don't yeah, care. This is, you know, that this is a dead end. But there's so it's so rare, I think, for people to interact with cartoonists because there's, you know, there's 480 NBA players in the country right now, National Basketball Association players. Mm-hmm. And there are probably a sing- similar amount of professional cartoonists, if not less, in mm-hmm. the United States. And so the the odds of someone meeting an actual working professional cartoonist are about the same as meeting an NBA right. player. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, you do come across someone who's like, how do you do, what do you do? How do you do this? And and that's a fun cocktail conversation. And then and then you can bring out the rat contour and gad about self-descriptions yeah. that Jake likes to throw around. To complicate it even more is um, there's what you do, but then there's also what you make money at, mm-hmm. which might be two different things, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. For me, it's it's blood donations and, and plasma, <laughs> which have been my big – I got to tell you, we haven't done a podcast about that enough, but supplementing your income with plasma sale is incredible. <laughs> Get in on this market, people. It's kicking up. But no, Jake, you're 100% right. Like the, the things that, that you love that are self-defining, that you're like, I, this week I was a cartoonist or an illustrator because I did this mm-hmm. is not exactly what, the, what I paid for my mortgage this month because I did right. that. Like right. sometimes those are very different things. Right. You're right. I mean, I've, I've, my income is completely diversified. Nothing, and I'm, you guys have talked about this before. And so it's like, well, you know, 10% of my income comes from this. Another 30% actually comes from cartooning, but then there's another, you know, other 30%, which is illustration. Um, and then, you know, there could be another thing, investments that you've made or you, you, whether you have a rental property or something mm-hmm. like that. So do you say, you know, I'm a slumlord, you know, <laughs> like what, what, you know, it's, what are you? Yeah. And, and yeah. at some point you, you, you kind of, you have to decide like what you want to talk about and what you actually like self-identify as, I guess. Right. And you know, it's funny that you should mention the, the, the rental property. Cause I know one cartoonist who I think we all know, but it'll go nameless who makes a considerable side income on the market. And uh, I've never heard him mention that at all in his income, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and, but that's, you're not wrong is that he's figured out a balance for him that works for him, that he can do cartooning 90% of the time. And the, but the market, the other 10% of the time pays for the 90%, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a hundred percent true. But, uh, speaking of income, cause this is a good transition to one topic that I wanted to bring up with both of you today. Cause I'm kind of fascinated about it. Um, so we have all reached what I think we could describe as a modicum of success in our career. And thank God mm-hmm. for it. Like we're all doing great. We're all, we're all foods on the table. Everyone's healthy. We're all, we're all living and, and doing what we want to do. But I think a fascinating thing to talk about would be what is each of our deepest, darkest fears for our career? Not for the current project, not for the thing we're working on right now, but for the overarching career, what is your deepest, darkest fear? 
Brad, do you want to go first on that well, one? Yeah, because I just lived through it again. Uh, and I do at the end of every month. <laughs> My deepest, darkest fear is that this is the month that Patreon goes away. <laughs> that, that all those people who have been supporting me for well over two years now are all going to e- either either it's going to be revealed that they're all pretend or fraudulent or they're all going to say, nah, I've had enough of this guy and walk away or something. It, it, it's, it's one of those nightmares that I'm going to mm-hmm. wake up uh, on the first day of the month. Uh, and, and of course, the first thing I do is uh, go over there to Patreon. And um, I, my fear is that it's just going to go away. And that once again, I'm going to have to reinvent myself or reinvent the business model that I've been working on. Like, And, and, and it's something that I guess shouldn't scare me. Uh, uh, but it certainly does, uh, because as you guys both know, how many different times have we reinvented this thing that we do or re- made a major mm-hmm. adjustment to our business model or rethought who we were as artists? Uh, I know just looking back over the last 18 years, it's, 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 it's happened a lot for me. And mm-hmm. I... Do not. I, I like it just the way it is right now. <laughs> and I don't want to reinvent yeah. anymore for a little while. I'm 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 just figuring right. this one out. Right. This is just fine. Yeah, Grandpa's found his comfy chair. Exactly. Don't make Grandpa move exactly. out of his comfy and chair. And I know yeah. deep in my heart that if and when it happens, that I will you know, once again, reinvent or once again, make an adjustment or find that new thing that works. It's, it's what we do, but, oh God, I, I, I don't want to do it this month. And next month uh, is not on yeah. the table either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that in talking about deepest, darkest fears that I would like to do is I kind of want to deconstruct these like, like we would a dream to get to the fear behind mm-hmm. the fear, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, because, Uh, the thing is, if you don't acknowledge your fears in your heart, you're missing out on a quiet driver of some of the actions Mm. in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, because we are all driven by inspiration. We're all driven by positive words. We're all driven by our support network, but there is a not insignificant part of our brain and our actions that takes movement from our fears. And so Brad with yours, I think like to get behind it, your fear is the external, right? It's that you're doing everything you can right. as a cartoonist and and something else, something in the world <laughs> is basically saying to you, no, you, all your best efforts are not working. You have to figure out mm-hmm. something different. Is that an accurate way to describe your fear Absolutely. behind your fear? It's, it, it, and, it's, and it's also why I was uh, on the phone to my uh, – uh, representation in Congress repeatedly while they were uh, pushing the tax bill through because that's another one of those external things that can come around and make it very difficult for someone like me to make uh, a living. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's external. It's it's. I'm doing you know I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing it the best way I know how, and it's working. Now you guys don't fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I have gotten my job as a chicken walker. <laughs> yeah. Do not take my chicken away. <laughs> yeah, and and and, and, and it's at it, first. It, I guess I uh, that makes me more of a control freak than I'm willing to admit because uh, it really bothers me that there are external factors that can completely derail me. Stuff that I have no control over that uh, that mm-hmm. that can completely upend the apple cart. Well, no, and I, I, I don't want to invalidate that because I think that's there's a value to that because all of us in some ways are self-driven actors. We are the uh, prime movers of our career. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's complete validity to that because um, when you have found a modicum of success by being the prime mover of your career, by being your self-editor, by being your self-motivating project generator – it's it's terrifying that there is an external which could come in and like a big Monty Python foot squishing it down. Go nope, nope, you know not not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, if uh, if it's okay with you, Brad, I want to move on to Jake's. Jake, what is your deepest darkest fear uh, uh, for your career? Yeah. So I I I mean I have that fear that that, that Brad has as well. Um, but I another fear of mine is at some point not being relevant Mm. (laughs) like like my work is super dated that 
whether it's the story or whether it's the style uh, and that it just doesn't, it's just not appealing to what people want to see, whether it's the content or it's the way that I, the way that I draw. And I, and, and I'm worried too, that I, I really can't, I'm having a hard time keeping up with um, what's politically correct and what isn't because oh. <laughs> I feel like that's shifting and I'm worried that I'm going to put something in there, which I I think is all right, but somebody clearly thinks is wrong, and then I'm screwed. Yeah, I totally right. get that. No, I, I can absolutely see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I think what's what's fascinating about the fear behind your fear is that again, it's uh, an external. Which I wonder if because spe- mine is external as well, and I'm wondering if that speaks to. I actually don't know what that speaks to, mm-hmm. but that uh, that all of our fears are basically something that we cannot right. control. Yeah. That for, in in Jake's fear, it's and I, I think we can all relate to this fear because we've all seen like Silver Age uh, Marvel or DC artists mm-hmm. who can't find yeah. work anymore mm-hmm. because they're doing everything right. If anything, they're at the top mm-hmm. of their game. But but at a certain point, someone said, "No, I'd rather I'd rather hire Liefeld to draw this. We don't need you yeah. anymore." Well, I, I sat next to to uh, Alex Saviak at uh, at a Wizard World way back in the day. This may go back as far as like two thousand nine or so, and and he we got talking. He's a tremendously nice guy and a amazing artist. And you know that was his story. You know, in the eighties, he was one of the top uh, artists. He was one of the go to guys for Spider Man, their their flagship creation. And, uh, mm-hmm. a- and then he left for a little while to, because he could make better money for him and his family, uh, as a- in advertising. And then mm-hmm. when that started to bottom out, he decided, well, I'll come back to comics. Only by that time, Mon- or, or uh, uh, Marvel was in this whole phase of, they wanted everything to kind of look like manga. Do you remember that? Remember how the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. particularly yeah. really shifted? And, and he was having yeah. trouble getting uh, uh, people from Marvel to take him seriously because he had that style that was so identified with something that Marvel wanted to pivot from. So right. he had to uh, you know, make something else up. You know, He, he went and, and found another project to work on. Uh, but if you see this mm-hmm. guy's art, there's no his his drafts his draftspersonship, his his ability to just draw him. Bought off uh, is is among the top uh, in the craft. Right, right, but but uh, yeah, but Jake's Jake's fear is still totally valid, it's and I valid. even even though that that uh, is not top of mind for me, mm-hmm. I completely see why that could be the case for you, and I uh, I, I I validate <laughs> you, Jack. Jack. <laughs> uh, but but here's the thing, though, is that um, wh- I and I say this as a friend is that one of the things I see in your work, Jake, that I think maybe comes as a springboard from that fear, is that I see you constantly trying to reinvent your style mm-hmm. and to try new things and new mediums. So uh, I guess if we're trying to find a silver lining here in relating to that fear, is that it has caused you to com- continually go back to to uh, stage one and saying, you know what, I'm going to try an entirely new pen for a month. I'm going to try an entirely new style for a mm-hmm. month. Uh, and I've yeah. seen you do that on both in person and on, on the web. And it's uh, so if, if anything, there's a silver lining to that fear for you. Well, I, I think that's because of that fear I'm doing, I'm doing those things. And I'm always looking at, I'm looking at artists who are um, like re- relevancy proof mm-hmm. <laughs> or what irrelevancy proof, I guess. Yeah. And, and a few artists come to mind, like, I feel like Mike Mignola has carved out such a unique yeah. style that that I even look at stuff Hellboy that's twenty years old and it still feels like fresh, you know. Um, right. And and his style has evolved over the years, and I think that's great too. Like he's he's it's still signaturely him, but it's different from twenty years ago as well. And so I look to him as like. All right, he's he's doing something right, and he's he's taking you know he he hasn't rested. He's still evolving. He's still working. How can I apply that to myself? And it might be that um, I find a new artist, you know, somebody who's breaking new ground with their style, and I see what can I like, what can I crib mm-hmm. from that, you know, and 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 kind of consume and apply to what I'm doing to just give my stuff a little bit more of an edge or or 
some uniqueness. So I think there's that. And then as far as like the story front too, um, I just am still trying to learn. Like, I feel like I'm never going to be great at story, like to the point where I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I guess operating on the level of the people that I'm studying. And so, and I'm fine with that. But just as long as I'm better than the Jake that was that wrote a story, you know, mm-hmm. two years ago, you know, right, that, right, that right. At least this next story is better than the last one, and these characters are a little bit more believable than the last one, and the content is something that people can relate to. Um, so that I'm just I'm, I'm trying to work on those things, and and that's just, it's my worry is that you know it gets a yawn and it gets uh, it, it 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 just doesn't. This, you know, whatever you're creating, Jake, does not apply to me yeah. right now. Yeah, like uh, the fear being like, oh, yeah, Jake was a was a great artist in the teens, but now that it's the 2030s. <laughs> but, you know, like that's not an impossible statement. Yeah. Like he was, oh, Jake was great in the teens, but, you know, the, move, the world has moved on in 2030. Right. And it's well, a different yeah. world out now. Uh, uh, because I like having been, I, I still really talk about it, but I, I did a lot of work with, uh, with comics history in, in graduate school level. And the fascinating thing about looking at cartooning from a bird's eye view, like a hundred years on, like I was studying at one point, um, British comics of the 1910s and twenties mm-hmm. and you and Brad and I, in this conversation, we all think, oh yeah, we all have very distinctive styles. But the thing is from a hundred years on our three very different styles they'll be able to place mm-hmm. when we worked mm. and, and, and they'll all go, Oh yeah, that was somewhere between 2000 and 2020. Um, yeah. just knowing, just seeing our style. Like, so we all think we're doing really distinctive work just like they were in the twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. but, um, a hundred years out, they'll go, Oh yeah, that's, that was definitely of that time. You can. And so it's, it, it's an interesting puzzle of like to make yourself feel new and inventive. How do you truly break out of yeah. your, your era? And maybe that's a whole topic for another day, but that's that's not an invalid fear at all, though. Jake is that is that the times might pass you by. Um, uh, but like I said, I think it's it's been a, a net positive for your career because it's been a driver of action, which is great. So let's talk about the wait, second wait, one for a second. Wait, so your wait, other wait, fear wait, 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 wait. is that- now. Listen, okay. Okay. I've bared my soul. Jake over there has bared his soul. Dave <laughs> Kellen, what are you as scared of? Oh, I'm scared of Brad interrupting me. And then well, I have to- then it's time to face that fear because it's going to happen for the rest of the day, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so my deepest fear is like you two is an external and uh, it's very specific and it's kind of grotesque. My fear is that I will oh, crush my drawing. Yeah. Mm. That, mm-hmm. that is my fear. And it's a weird one to have. But I will somehow either break my three active fingers or hurt my hand somehow by doing yeah. some job around the house, fall off a ladder. Um, my dad was a surgeon and fell off. He was a, a brilliant surgeon and also an <laughs> idiot in every true guy sense in that he was he was working on the roof and fell off the roof and shattered his operating hand or you know, operating Ooh. arm in four places. Whoa. And and for two years, couldn't operate. And uh, thankfully, because he was a doctor, some of the best doctors in the country repaired his arm in a way that was amazing. I thought you were going to say, and and he went on this personal self journey to the Middle East and learned <laughs> magic. <laughs> <laughs> the, what is it? The ancient one taught yes. him. Uh, what, what, Brad, Brad, you know, it, you you had it exactly right. It's the ancient one. Oh, was it the ancient one? Oh, right, yeah. The ancient one yes, as played yes. by a white a, woman. A, a, um, a revised so. ancient one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that was kind of a, a singularly uh, terrifying moment in my life because I saw a man who mm-hmm. was great at his career, who was doing what he loved, and because of a literally a slip, uh, couldn't work for two years and was actively thinking, well, I right. guess I go teach medicine now. I guess that's my job mm-hmm. now. I can't, I can't be a doctor anymore. So for me, uh, because... I'd like to think that I am a humble person, but I'm at my deepest. I'm probably also egotistical in the sense that if there is a problem, I mm. will out hustle the problem. Mm-hmm. I like, I know that if, like Brad said, I have a fear that I have to reinvent my career, but if I had mm. to, as is true with you two, we, we could do it within six months, we would do a 180 on our career and we would figure out some other system. Right. But for, for me, the, the, the fear of crushing my drawing hand is that there is an external action that is so great that even my hustle can't fix it. You know about Frazetta? No, did Frazetta hurt his no, hand? He had a stroke and lost, lost the use of his, the right oh. side of his body. So he learned how to paint with his oh. left hand. And many of his works were done after the stroke and they look just as beautiful. He just trained himself to paint with his left hand. So I, I feel like this fear 
is surmountable for you. The what you should be worried about is hitting your head. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> you can't even. Oh, Jake. You know what, Jake? I really have to thank you for helping me not sleep tonight. Great. That's a great. I feel like as a solution, this has been great for my fear, Jake. <laughs> you've replaced yeah, my yeah. fear with a greater now, fear. Now you've got two you. things to worry about, your hand and your head. <laughs> so what happens? Do you, do you protect your head with your hand or do you protect your, your hand with your head? <laughs> yeah, quick, get a foot up there. Get it up there. So cartoonist, pro tip, if you're headed towards a car yeah, crash, no get your foot up there. Yeah. Get it get it my, right in the way. My advice is just stay inside. Way <laughs> <laughs> on that one. So, so unlike Lucy Bellwood, our adventure cartoonist interview from a few weeks, our advice is... Is sit very quiet and still. Right. Don't go anywhere. Right. No don't tall move. ships for you. Yeah, exactly. No running, no jogging. Don't do anything. Uh, that's Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, that's the same thing happened with Monet, didn't it? Is that one of the reasons why his style became more and more uh, abstract is that he was mm. losing his vision, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And so his colors became, if anything, more fascinating and unique because... He could only focus yeah. on color, not on shape. Am I misremembering that? It has the ring of truth. In other, in other words, if it's a total bullshit story, it's a really good one. <laughs> it's truthy, if not truthful. Great. So, well, we've all examined our deepest, darkest fears. Uh, I think that's great. And, and so now I want to ask Jake, because uh, this actually leads into one mm-hmm. of your fears, I think, is that you just posted on, on Insta, <laughs> as the kids say, on Instagram, uh, and on on the various Twitters and, and websites, you posted the uh, uh, a video of you flipping through. I think it was was it 129 inked pages yeah, of your yeah. graphic novel Skyheart. 126. 126. I can do math. Yes, I'm sorry. No, it was good. 100. <laughs> no, because folio. That makes sense. Because folios are what it has to be divisible by eight. By eight. Yeah, but 127. Well, anyway. Yes. All right. Good job. <laughs> Mathematician. Three mathematicians do a podcast. That's great. So, but so you just finished a huge project. It's it's two years of work mm-hmm. of 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 worrying, of slaving, of getting excited, mm-hmm. of redoing pages, of inking, of starting over, of 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 moving on. Mm-hmm. And now it's done ostensibly. There's just coloring left to do, but it's done. That part is physically done. Right, right. And, and this leads to a topic I want to talk to both of you about because uh, it's fascinating. And the idea is this. You just finished a huge project. Yeah. Now what? Now what? Yes. Yeah, so that is- What do you do next? That's a good question. Actually, that's something, uh, something I wanted to take to you guys mm-hmm. for advice. Just uh, oh, I want to hear- All right. Yeah, I want to hear your perspective. Just get my opinion before I crush my head. Yes. That's the one thing. That... Um, and then I'll have to go be a chicken walker in, in Kansas. First off, my uh, this project was kickstarted, and I and I did something that I do not recommend anybody do, and that is, uh, I went to Kickstarter and I said I have an idea, and I pitched my idea, and I said I haven't drawn it yet, but I want the money, the sort of the money up front, so that I have. Um, so I could devote time to drawing this and say no to freelance. So I could mm-hmm. say yes to this project, and right. and two thousand people backed me. It, it came in at a I think a hundred thousand dollars. You know, on, up front, I ended up getting ninety thousand after you know credit card transactions failed and um, uh, um, mm-hmm. the per- the fees, the percentages. Right. Um, so I have all that money sitting there, uh, which then is taxed taxed upon. And then when it, you know when you figure out printing costs, shipping costs, it, it whittles down to maybe about thirty thousand dollars <laughs> um, to 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 actually work on the book, which then took me what I hoped was a year. Uh, it ended up taking two two and a half years to write the story, draw everything for it, and it was about two years to to just get that far. Um, and the whole time, uh, I felt like. I couldn't show this to anybody because I didn't want to spoil it for my backers and I couldn't put it on Patreon and make money off of it on Patreon as well because that wouldn't be fair to the backers. I I felt like my hands were tied this whole time and I had to kind of keep it, keep it under wraps um, because it was, you know, it was this, this project that I made for these Kickstarter backers. And I felt like had I just, buckled down for the last two years and figured out a way to do it, I could have been sharing, you know, selling off bits of this at a time, whether it's on Patreon or or digital downloads or things like that. And 
and grow an audience for it that way instead of, I guess, leveraging the audience that I already had. Um, uh, so, so I, I guess long story short with the Kickstarter thing, if you're planning on doing a Kickstarter, finish the work first and then kickstart for the yeah. printing of it. Don't kickstart um, the production of it, I guess. I, I have to say, uh, and as a friend, I, I look at tw- hindsight being 2020. I don't know that I would have had the savvy to do it differently at the time, yes. but looking back on it, I think you are correct. Mm-hmm. I think basically what you did in in doing the work first, mm-hmm. you're basically front loading the pain mm-hmm. and and the reward at the end. And when you kickstart it first, you're doing the reverse. And there's an there's an odd emotional denouement mm-hmm. when you do it that way. You're like, <laughs> oh, look at this, all this money, all the support. Oh, now I have to look at 126 blank pieces of yeah. paper and do this for the next. It's, few it's years. like waking up yeah. the next morning after a wild party and thinking, oh my god, that was a lot of fun. Now what? You know, <laughs> you know what? Now I've got to deal with all that right. stuff that I said last night. <laughs> but I got to say, in in the way that we're constantly watching each other and seeing what what experiments work, when you did it at the time, I was like, "Hey, bully for Jake! He he made a hundred thousand plus. He got all the support. Mm-hmm. He's he's basically subsidized doing a comic." But now looking back on it and especially seeing what Patreon is able to do or even what uh, like small, like you said, digital yeah. PDF sales could have done mm-hmm. to, to grow the audience or a website, mm-hmm. you uploading a page of Skyheart every week or two to a, a website or to uh, Patreon, um, you would have timed out right about two years as well doing it that way. Mm-hmm. and. And maybe have grown the audience and maybe have ended up making more income. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, I, I, I can't say that I disagree with you on that. But that said, though, I still have been sharing stuff along the way. And there are people who missed the Kickstarter who are like, hey, how do I get in on this? Is there still a chance to get this book? So in the next, you know, probably by the time this podcast airs, I'll have pre orders set up for this book so I can get a second wave of people who want to pre-order the book, which, which should be, you know, I, it should be good. I have 1600 email signups uh, on the Skyheart page of people saying, you know, let me mm-hmm. know when the book goes on sale. But from a, from a business a- aspect though, if, if, if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. thinking about doing this from a business ans- aspect, you've taken on a, a considerable risk and uh, a, a lot of extra uh, 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 problems because, uh, like you said, that money got taxed that year that you made it and you mm-hmm. didn't have any expenses, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to speak of that you could deduct. So the full mm-hmm. amount got taxed. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. well, I, I deferred it. I, I did, uh, there was a thing we did with my accountant that said, okay, we can defer these taxes till next year. But so I ended up having to pay them not on that year, but on the next year. Still, I paid taxes on them. So granted, you deferred it, but you still didn't have any deductions. And can I tell you, Brad, can I tell you, because this is also true, I kickstarted my drive book and it ended up clearing, I don't oh. know, November or December, the, the Kickstarter yep. funds. Guess when yep. the print run happened? The <laughs> next year. And I was like, oh, you idiot. Why did you do it this way? Uh, I was like, oh, I needed that $20,000 yeah. deduction, yeah, you that's dummy. The, Why and, did you? and plus, now you've got to be uh, disciplined and smart enough that you don't mistakenly spend some of that money, you know, that on stuff that you're going to need to cover later, which is something that I you hear time and time again when people do Kickstarters. <laughs> That's the big uh, problem. They dig themselves into a hole because, mm-hmm. of course, extra uh, mm-hmm. costs, uh, last-minute things come up, things come through more expensive than they had estimated, uh, particularly shipping and they they spent their mm-hmm. Kickstarter money too soon. So it, it, what you did, I, I, I knowing you as I do, I know you're going to be able to pull this off. But man, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, and I think you'd agree, this is this is not advisable, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, do do the work first. <laughs> um, but that being said, I remember you uh, at, at that point in your life. I rem- I think we talked about it over breakfast at a comic con one time, and you were saying how. 
you needed you needed uh, an an economic a viable economic way to be able to say to you your wife that like hey this is a reason to step away from freelance work this mm-hmm. is a reason to devote towards it mm-hmm. and so I you basically needed permission right. Uh, and I, I get that. I 100% get that. Right. Um, so I understand why you made the decision at the time. Had I not launched the Kickstarter, I don't know that 126 pages of Skyheart would be drawn right now today. No. So, well, here's what would have happened. It would have taken you, and I, this is honestly, three to four years to do it. And what would have happened then is in the three to four years, you would have had, because it hadn't seen print yet, you would have then looked at the first 20 pages and gone, yeah, you know I can, what? Yep, yep. I, can, I can do better. <laughs> and then you would have redrawn, then you would have redrawn the first 20 pages. And then like, you know what I mean? That would have, it, it, so in a way, this forced your hand to get it done because yeah. you were also, Brad, the biggest deferred payment that, that Jake also had was guilt. When you have two years of a Kickstarter of people waiting, I, I know, Jake, you must have had that on your heart. You're like, I'm so sorry, everyone. Yeah. Oh, God, this is terrible. Yeah. This take me two years. Yeah. And that's a, that's a miserable feeling to have for two years right. is to swim in that. I've had three people say, you know what? This is ridiculous, yeah. Jake. Give me my money back. Everyone else has said. <laughs> oh, so you got my email then. Okay, good. <laughs> everyone else has said, has either been silent or, or has said, you know, I don't want... I, I backed this project. I know these things happen. Take your, you know, take your time to mm-hmm. make it, make it good, but please get yeah, it to me yeah. as soon as you can. <laughs> and here's the thing. Those three jerks would have been jerks, but no matter what yeah. you did, I can yeah. assure you of that. Uh, those, those are unhappy people. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the thing is in your, in, in your artist heart, just as is true with Brad and I, even if no one had said anything, mm-hmm. even if you had only gotten support, I know you would have still felt oh, guilt definitely. because that's just, that's the artist <laughs> way have, to feel guilty about it. But so the, uh, the, uh, the, the bigger picture that I wanted to get at with both of you, though, because I think this is a fascinating topic, though, is that you've devoted two years of your life to this project. Mm-hmm. But now emotionally, separate from the financial considerations and separate from the logistics of a project, how do you emotionally go on to the next thing? Yeah. So, so actually, the story of Skyheart isn't, isn't over yet. I, well, the story of the book isn't over, and then the story mm-hmm. in the book isn't over. So this... The thing that I've written is chapter one, right? And there's still more story to do. And it ends on a nice cliffhanger. Like every, you know, I've got all my main characters in play and and right. you're like, what's next, right? So um, I also have a literary agent and she is fielding like questions from editors like, hey, what's going on with Jake and Skyheart? So there's interest there mm-hmm. to publish it traditionally. But that comes with all of these caveats and problems and things where I could play that game and I could do that thing. But like right now in my gut, I'm feeling like I want to do this book as an online like comic, as a, as a thing that I'm just doing on my own without the pressure. There's, the, I guess, without the, the publishing pressure. And the publishing pressure isn't bad pressure; it's it's good pressure. But well, for people that aren't familiar with it, what because yes. I don't know that they would know yes. what is the pressure that you're feeling in your heart if you go okay. that route. So 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 a there's there's some legitimate concerns with how it's already done, and that is the publishing world. There's exceptions to this rule, but the publishing world wants fresh, new, mm-hmm. unpublished content, and Skyheart has been published, and it, and to a, a certain percentage of an audience, it's not new and it's not fresh. It's something that I've done and now it's being repackaged and published now through a publisher. So in, a, in my agent's eyes and in publisher's eyes, they want something um, new and fresh. That said, they have published Kickstarter, you know, things that have gone through the Kickstarter circuit and, and they've done well with that. But for the most part, there's there's that. The other thing too is I've, I've illustrated this book in a traditional comics format, mm-hmm. you know, the size um, and the publishers that I've all worked with in the past and who would be interested in this print at a digest size, which is a different dimension. It's smaller. So there would be some format changes. So if I say yes to a publisher, now it's possibly changing the story or or, or using the same characters in the same world and taking it to a different story and, in, in, you know, into a different world, not, not a different world, but having a different mm-hmm. adventure with these characters so that it's new and it's fresh, oh. um, changing the size of it and 
Um, and then also um, you're working with an editor, which is good and which I, I, I'm seriously thinking about hiring a freelance editor to work with me because I need a person to bounce things off of that will take the time to actually like, I always feel bad like sharing it with friends and like, you know, you read this and just tell me what you think. Cause now that's asking a favor, you know, and, and, and you don't want to like put them out, but you really need that. So, uh, um, I like working with an editor or with someone who just has those kind of things in, you know, in, in, in mind. So regardless moving forward, if I go with a publisher, if I self publish or do the, 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 um, online route, I'm going to be hiring somebody to help me with story and dialogue and those kinds of things. Just make sure everything like is reading good. So, th- so there's, there's these two avenues, right? And, and the publishing thing also publishing, mm-hmm. you can get an advance, but the advance um, that they're paying for, for comics now, I don't know is going to be any better than what I might do online. Yeah, I, and I think uh, we don't need to talk specifics, but I, for the, the broader world, I think the, the, the advances in the YA market are in the ten, low tens of thousands, right? Isn't that a ballparking it? Yeah, well, I mean, because I've, I've been in publishing and, I've, and, and I have, I think starting out, yes, it's going to be in the, in the teens. You know, maybe for a graphic novel, you might get 20,000, but um, uh I'm I'm operating a little bit higher level now, so I can I can expect a little bit more from my advance. But still, at the end of the day, um, uh, it's it's not. I don't think it's gonna. It's not gonna cover all my bills. I'm still gonna have to take on side work and other things to like. It's, right. It's not right. full time. This. So if if I'm not doing full time, um, anyway, I might as well be publishing it. Um, and then this is another. I'm sorry. I'm not being like. <laughs> super clear but i <laughs> there's just so many things to, to like talk about well imagine imagine us <laughs> sitting in a chair across from you holding your hand we're we're, we're, we're patting we're patting the top of your hand i know it's all gonna be okay i know no i mean I, i'll be honest with you because i was talking with uh, brad briefly about uh uh skyheart before we uh, got on with you and i it's a it's an interesting question because in in most cases brad and i I think, Brad, I can speak for you on this. We would advocate like, no, own your own career, control mm-hmm. it yourself, put as much of it as you can online. Uh, you, will, you will do well to own and control your audience, all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But I actually feel, and this might be from a point of ignorance, but I think not, that the YA market is an interesting exception to the mm-hmm. rule because, or to that rule, because that is a market that the book still rules the world. And uh, in the sense that a 12-year-old may not have internet access from mom and dad, or if they do, it's maybe just for homework right. or, you know, for limited things. And so it's it maybe is unfortunate, but that is still a world that Scholastic has mastery mm-hmm. over. Uh, and and if there's even a chance to get Skyheart in that, I might go for it myself yeah. if I were you. I don't well, know. Here's, here's the other, my other issue with the publishing world, and that is the glacial pace that it operates oh, that's murder right. like if you were to op- if, if you were to sell it today to scholastic we would see it in what 2020 at this okay, point so yeah if i were to sign a, a deal today it would uh it would probably take well first off <laughs> the contract stuff yeah. usually takes months right so right so once that's all done then i would probably have about a year year and a half to work on the actual book the book one um and it would probably be a one or two or three book deal um, because because of the, the the length of the story. But let's say it's one just a one book deal. Um, it would take a year, year and a half to finish that story. Then it takes another year to uh, sell the book to all the book buyers, so they know how many they're going to print. So right. Amazon says we'll take you know two thousand copies. Barnes and Noble says we'll take third you know three thousand or ten thousand copies. Um, then you have you know, every other buyer that, that does books, uh, the smaller bookstores or the people that distribute to the smaller bookstores. So once they know that, then they know, okay, we can print 30, 40,000 copies and sell the rest of these off because uh, we have we have pre-orders on these and sell the rest of these off as we get the marketing machine going after the book comes out, right? So all right. of that takes another year. So you're looking at two or three years, eh, two and a half years before this book actually mm-hmm is on bookshelves, right? And I know for me in the way that I work, 
I really like feedback sooner than that. I don't want to put something, (laughs) you know, work on something, have it come out two years later, then get the feedback and realize, okay, is this resonating with people? Is this working? Um, And so for me, like right now I'm feeling like, okay, let's put it out in 20 page segments on the internet, get the feedback, get the audience built, grow this, this story like that. And, um, and see how that does and where that go where that goes because it's going to take a while to make anyway it's going to um, have to be a side project anyway so it might as well be uh, continually like dripping money into me all along the way. Well, let's turn this to, to Brad. I want to hear your thoughts. What would you do in this situation? How would uh, you approach this? Well, in Jake's situation specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is a good this is a good one to, like Jake is specifically doing what you asked for last week, which is like, here's a possible answer to my problem. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. It, it, it helps to kind of frame this a certain way. And that is that, there's two ways of looking at this, and it's really coming into focus as Jake's talking. Uh, it, it, he's t- it, the way you and I have done publishing. The it, it's the book is not the thing. The book is a record of the thing. Okay. Yeah. Right. And the way Jake is going about this, the book is the thing. And so it, 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 there, there's there's pros and cons to both of those, but it helps to kind of it, it helps your own decision making once you realize which one of those that you're in. In other words, for me, uh, uh, I, I'm going to be doing comics. I'm putting them on Patreon. I'm putting them on a website. I'm getting paid for them in advance. I'm collect- at the end of the year. I'm collecting them, and the book is a record of the thing. For Jake, the book is more the thing. So once you once you have that kind of set in your mind and you know what you're dealing with, I think you can make your decisions a whole lot uh, more clear. I don't know that I would do anything a whole lot different than what he's doing other than I don't know that I would be uh, necessarily tripping over myself to uh, to get that contract from Scholastic and, and it, in any other case, uh, then if they're going to take something that I'm already done and buy that and move it, uh, because I, what mm-hmm. you're describing mm-hmm. to me, uh, it, 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 you're going to be spinning your wheels trying to get that thing done under their specs and using their process. And the rest of your business, the rest of your life is going to suffer. So I could certainly understand, mm-hmm. uh, if not this sky heart, uh, maybe the next one or a special offshoot that you produce that's tailor made mm-hmm. for Scholastic to pick it up. If it were me, I would take mm-hmm. that risk, make that thing. Uh, and even if Scholastic says, well, we'd rather want fresh, we'd rather want this, we'd rather want that. That's fine. If they don't bite on it or, and, and if the next uh, publisher doesn't bite on it or what have you, you still have your ability to put that thing out on your own, kickstart it, make your money, and all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would jump through hoops uh, trying to retrofit mm-hmm. for Scholastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 in other words, if I'm if I'm putting this under one header, I would say do your thing, and then if you and, and, and along with kickstarting and self publishing and everything else, and then once you have this thing, if you offer it to a publisher and they want to pick it up and distribute mm-hmm. it wider from there, that's fine. You do need Scholastic as a distributor. You don't need them as a publisher. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so you can you can publish this thing on your own. Uh, now, what Dave is saying they they are gold in terms of getting out to that young adult that YA market. Uh, and, but that's more of a distributor function. And if they want to jump in on it as a distributor, that's fine. But I don't know that you need them as a, as a publisher. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I have a couple interesting thoughts on this uh, because I'm, I'm very conflicted about which way I would recommend you go with this, Jake. Mm-hmm. But here's an interesting thought experiment because I think we're all in admiration of what he did. You could time travel Jeff Smith from 1991 to mm-hmm. right now. How would he do Bone right now? He would, yeah, it'd be a webcomic. And, 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 so I think for those that don't know the back history of it, like Jeff Smith literally drove 
around, I think, the Midwest to comic shops with Bone in his trunk selling uh, Bone, black and white Bone copies to comic shops. Yeah, I actually bought a copy off of him from his trench coat on a corner. (laughs) Uh, Wow. In in Cleveland. Uh, But I mean, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, but look at what he has now in terms of, I I believe, who's who's now the current imprimatur of the big color bone, the gigantic one? The Scholastic. Yeah, that's Scholastic. Which, that's which scholastic. basically just right. belies the bullshit yeah. of their argument that they don't want to buy already existing properties. Uh, I I find I always find that well, argument ridiculous yeah. because look at look at the sale that Check Please just had for its webcomic run and how successful that's going. Um, I, I I feel like that's a mid level editor going. No, I just want to own it and control the thing that I brought to the market. I'm I'm going to build my career by saying I'm the one that created Skyheart and I'm going to move up Scholastic. You know, honestly, I feel. I feel like there's a 30 to 40 year old editor that's like, no, I'm, I'm buying or bringing original things to the market that only right, I have seen right. before. They're you know? hanging their hat on that. <laughs> when in fact, to Brad's longstanding point, you have a project like Check Please or Bone or mm-hmm. Skyheart that is market tested online and you know resonates. That's bullshit that you don't want to bring that to the book market. That is absolute bullshit. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I feel like mm-hmm. that's a weird, if, 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 if nothing else, it's a blind spot mm-hmm. on their part to not see what market testing is getting them online. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. that being said, mm-hmm. I personally feel like a, a, a 20s Jeff Smith now with Bone would be making it as a webcomic or, or somehow digitally distributing mm-hmm. it and then building it up so that 5, 10, 15, right. 20 years from now, he could sell the completed version to Scholastic. That's what I honestly feel like that's what mm-hmm. he would be doing. And uh, I, I'm in great admiration of what he did with Bone, mm-hmm. and I think it's gonna that's going to long outlive all of our careers. That's gonna, people will be reading that 100 years from now. And yeah. he did it through the sweat mm-hmm. and control of owning his own career. And I think that there is a lesson to be learned for you with Skyheart with that. But it's hard because I'm also of a mind that the YA market is different. I'm very aware that 9 to 13-year-olds are not necessarily surfing the web for new content. You know what I mean? They're still going to the Scholastic Book Fair and they're still going to their school library. And Well, and that's the thing is I could could do the direct market. I could take it to image if I didn't mind like chopping heads off, (laughs) you know, in each issue or, you know, just maturing it up a little bit because that's also an option for a creator today is like you can, you can do an image book and take your audience to there. I've seen, I've seen a handful of guys do 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 a good job but with what's, that. What's, but what's really the advantage there? I, I I'm 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 not sure that I understand what the advantage is for taking it to like an image or something like that. I I don't know that comic shop sales are that brisk, are that strong. I I, I I'm not sold on that. I well, I think it depends on the book, and and if you have a book that reaches that image audience. And I think if you also have a little bit of a name that you've built up with the com in the comic community, you could do really well. Yeah, I would I would agree with Jake on that. That I think if he if he could own uh, Skyheart's present on presence online and have Image help expand its potential readership, I think there's value there. I'll I tell think- you what, I I disagree with both of you here, and 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 here's <laughs> and I may be full of shit. It wouldn't be the first time. You take that same. <laughs> Uh, Skyheart, all right, and mm-hmm. you publish it, and, and you've got it set up, ready to go. You put that out, uh, not as a not as a floppy, but as a graphic novel. Uh, put it out through uh, a, a distributor like Diamond, all right, but in in, mm-hmm. in book, or you can also, you know, there's other book distributors, right? But the main thing is, once you get it out there at the distributor level, that lands you on Amazon. And that's where all your sales are going to happen, not the comic shop, but Amazon. And what you need is that distributor to have a warehouse full of your books so that once it, that mm. thing does start cranking away on Amazon, it takes off on its own and you don't have to sit there and package up books and stuff like that. If I had my choice between the two of those, uh, I would certainly yeah. do it that second way as opposed to you know, putting these things out uh, as a floppy through it, if through image or even having image publish your graphic novel and, and having yet, because now you've got another person with their hand uh, in the process. So now you're cutting a check or, or, you know, giving profits to image and the distributor and Amazon, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as opposed to just doing it uh, with the distributor and Amazon. 
I think that you'd have, I, I don't buy that there's that big of a, uh, a market there that image is going to get you to that you can't get on your own. And, and the real game is on Amazon. Well, Brad, okay, Brad, right. I'm not discounting what you're saying. I think there's a lot of value there for uh, other projects. But he- here's where I'll disagree with you is that how does a YA reader, how does a 12-year-old know to even look on Amazon for Skyheart in that scenario? Like, well, okay, how do they now, come across Now we're that? shifting around here because we, image isn't going to get you the YA audience either. That's, that's no, right. One. Well, that's yeah. what I was saying. If, if I go through image, I have to mature it right. up. So, right. so if we're bringing this back to the YA conversation, again, I'm going to go back to that initial thing I said where you kickstart it, you publish it, you make your money, you have left some left over, and then you are approaching like a scholastic or, or whichever with mm-hmm. a finished mm-hmm. product and you treat them not as a publisher but as a distributor of your market-tested mm-hmm. product. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I, okay, I'm going to put a, a stick in the ground as to where I would do it. I, I, I would do, I, what is a stick in the ground? I don't know what that what I just said. Uh, but A flag in the sand. A flag in the sand, yeah. So I go. think a version of what Brad just said is what I would do. Here's what I would do at this point. I would continue to, so book one is done. It's drawn. It's, you've, you've made the money to get it out there. Um, sell the additional copies to the 1,600 people you have on your web comics. Sell an additional 500 to 1,000 over the next couple of years to people as they come to discover it and pass it around, um, right? So that's the pattern there. Mm-hmm. Book two, I think it goes up on Patreon to those now four to 5,000 people that loved book one. Mm-hmm. You're making money consistently on it. You then kickstart the book when it's about three quarters finished or, you know, four fifths finished. Um, you sell you sell it again on Kickstarter. You repeat the same pattern. And then I think it's probably going to be a three to seven book arc. Am I guessing right on that? I haven't asked you about that. Three, yeah, three to four. So three, so then you repeat the same cycle through, uh, for book three and four, and then I, where I, I would chime in in agreement with Brad is then you take that complete book, mm-hmm. which is now going to be probably about five hundred pages, and you mm-hmm. and you say, look at this Scholastic. It's a unique formatted, agreed, but it's a fantastic five hundred YA com- uh, uh, mm-hmm. graphic novel. Let's talk. And so in the meantime, you've made a few hundred thousand dollars in those intervening five years um, uh, from different sources uh, and maybe even up to upwards of a half million over five years of making those those three to four books. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I would do it. I Mm -hmm. would do it that way. Mm -hmm. Jake, we've just figured out your career for you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, all you got to do is go out and do it. We left the easy part to you. (laughs) <laughs> All right, now guys, we're turning to the growth on my back. All right, now what do I do about it? How do I do? I go I see it. Looks a like an angry mole. <laughs> we need to figure this out. No, but I, I, I honestly think that's the way I would do it at this point, Jake. I think, yeah, I, think I think that's a, right. I think that's a version of what a, a 1991 Jeff Smith would do, and I think that's what I would do, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Brad would do too. Now, now let me throw a little, little something in there for you. Uh, what happens if you it, it, let's say it's a four four book set? And you do what Dave said for the first three books, but as you're gaining steam over the years, you are actually working on that fourth book, but not posting it. And Mm. then by the time you come to a scholastic or similar, you say, I've got these three books. You know, it's really great. The fourth book caps it off. I haven't published any of the fourth book yet. Uh, we put this out as one big thing. The fourth book is all new material that no one has seen anything anywhere. And the book itself is a collection from book one through four. And you offer them that, which is maybe a little bit of a taste of both worlds. They get the market text uh, tested one through three. And they get the mm-hmm. fact that book four is all new material. And they get the fact that this is the only way that you can buy the entire si- uh, story from start to finish. That's yeah, that's not a bad idea. You know what, Brad? I've had that exact same idea with Drive yeah. uh, for the, for the third act. I'm not kidding. I that uh, there's a big box set and it's only available uh, through a publisher. Because yeah. um, I, I, by that point, I've maximized my money uh, through Patreon and Kickstarter for what I could get out of Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an alternate version that I've thought about, and Jake, you could think about this too for for mm-hmm. Skyheart with Drive. My grand ambition is I kickstart book one. I'm doing Patreon in the meantime. I kickstart book two. I Patreon in the meantime. Kickstart book three. Great. Oh, the story is done. 
But now I kickstart a super huge box set with, yeah. with an additional short story by me, a couple of additional guest stories by other people. And then you're you're getting the entire market that you've already sold to probably again, uh, frankly, uh, because it's going to be this beautiful leather bound, you know, right. gorgeous book. Um, and yeah, well, I have every version of Hellboy that's ever been published. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes when you buy in, you buy in big as a yeah, comics reader. Uh, I mean, I, uh, uh, one of my favorite things is, is seeing, uh, to go back to image the, like with invincible, they have the floppies, then they have the mm-hmm. invincible semi floppies, whatever those are called soft covers. And then those, the traits. yeah. And then those become the, the slightly bigger one and those become the unmissable invincible. And then the, that one gets combined <laughs> again to become the super unmissable yeah, invincible. Right. And like, invincible in, in, phone book. yeah, exactly. And so by the, by the time you're done as a, a image fan of, of, you know, uh, walking dead or, or, uh, Invincible or one of these, you've ended up buying 19 different books of the same book. So, mm-hmm. Well, it's what we said way back going back to Web Comics Weekly. That, that was our, our credo as web cartoonists. Do it once and get paid for it as often as you can. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. no. So I think uh, I think we did. I think we I think we helped a life here today, Brad. Yeah, I, I think, think we've we done good. I think we've done I think, good. No, I I do have clarity. I do have clarity. <laughs> <laughs> if you can send some of that my way, I'd appreciate it. I'm still looking for that. So now my my one big pro tip to you, Jake, is just don't crush your drawing hand. Now yeah, that's just to, bring yeah. it, just to bring it full circle. I don't crush your drawing hand. Actually, can I can I plug the Skyheart website while I'm here? Sure. Now that you're nervous about how you're going to do this, <laughs> no, it, go to uh, skyheartcomic.com. That's where I'm posting every you know updates. Uh, you can you can sign up for the email so you get notified when I launch the pre-order. Um, yeah, so that that's if you're if this has piqued any interest in you. Just go to skyheartcomic.com. And I, you know what? Let's let's all help Jake not wet his pants in this moment. Yes. So yes. Yes. please, please, <laughs> like only you can save a child at this moment. <laughs> You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice, patreon.com slash comic lab. Hey, if you have a little bit of time, head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. Doesn't cost you a thing, but it helps us get this show out to more and more people. Oh, and for those that were waiting for it, I finally posted my studio pictures. They're real estate ready, ready for the staging of the house, and so it's the most beautiful, clean shot of my studio that will ever have existed. My heart aches for you. That's such a beautiful space. <laughs> it is, but but I know the new space is going to be just as gorgeous. It won't, but thank you, Brad. <laughs> we're uh, going to keel haul Jake in and, and make sure that he uh, joins us, but we've been doing a fantastic job of getting those pro tips episodes out and we're going to have jake uh over uh, helping us out with a pro tip in a little bit here uh but if you are a patreon backer you get all kinds of extras the the studio tours the pro tips uh episodes and we're, we're giving you every excuse you might need to be a patreon backer